Okay, everybody expects us to have an anime podcast. Michael Peters, Justin Charity, at long last, are they podcasting once again about anime? No. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. Honestly, this podcast might turn out to be like the Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence movie Life, except neither of us is in prison, and in fact, we're not even taping in the same location. But we will be talking a lot about the millennial life. You know, music, video games, strange stuff from the dark corners of the internet that piques our interest. People think this is going to be, oh, a little topic A, oh, what's topic B, oh, a little, you know, chit-chat. No, every time you tune into this podcast, we are going to lock you into a room for 45 minutes, and we are going to do criticism. We are going to get to the bottom of every Scooby-Doo mystery that the discourse produces for us each week. Mark my words. Man, that was that was a lot. But anyway, we are excited about it. We are excited. We're excited. We're super excited. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. And this is Sound Only. We're back on August 11th. Catch us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Let's go. I know nobody. I don't care how many years you have on this job. If the felony rate doesn't fall, you most certainly will. Nobody give a fuck about 40. Nobody remember 40. And y'all niggas is giving me way too many 40 degree days. What the fuck? Fucking vacation and your fucking retirement plan. What? biggest takeaway from episode three here of season three, which is called Dear Soldiers. A uh, lot of reasons why that's an appropriate title. Um, as we dive deeper into that, to the episode and those who watch, they understand why. But this is a episode where there was a lot of bold ideas that yeah. were fermented, bold and sometimes recklessly stupid, but bold. Yeah. They think it outside the box, but right. at the same time, um, recklessness without proper planning is not necessarily boldness. And, uh, but there is nevertheless, I mean, a lot of, a lot of zany thinking. And as we have seen throughout the history in the wire is that if you have an out of the box idea, prepare for the bullshit. Cause here it comes. <laughs> yeah. The, the box, once you get outside of the box, it normally falls right on your damn head. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I think you just <laughs> you summed up right. so much of what happens in the wire. So we we see some major characters or some developing major characters with some bold ideas, and um, you know, it the journey will the journey sort of starts from these bold ideas to seeing how they either come to fruition or they don't, or they wind up in very disastrous consequences. Some of which we see already in this episode. Yeah, um, a little bit of a rebellious episode. This is the episode where. People started to make, like you said, those bold moves. Those bold moves are almost always at cross purposes of convention in this episode. They are challenging some of the things that they've done and some of the ways they've lived in the past. Um, Also, uh, 
uh, episode that kind of burns beneath a little bit. And that's kind of the thing with season three, as I've been on my season three rewatch. Season three snaps into itself, I think, in the next episode. These last two are really setting a lot of things up. They're still getting you into this new world. And this particular one, you're starting to learn a lot more about one specific character, uh, Karketi. You're learning a lot more about him in this episode. But um, this is the one where people are really going in and, like you said, making bold moves, but bold moves that are almost always at cross-purposes to the person that's right above them or the system that's above them. Well, it's funny that, um, you know, you you, you kind of laid it out that way because I watching season three again, I think this might be my fourth rewatch of season three in particular, because I would go back and and, mm-hmm. and watch rewatch The Wire, but I would kind of pick my spots. And season right. three was a favorite, a favorite. But, and this is, uh, I think I've said before on this podcast, uh, but just in case people didn't hear me and to reiterate, this is only the second time I've rewatched the series in full. And right. what I noticed so far about season three, it started off slower than I remembered. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the season two, honestly, by comparison, starts off a lot faster. And even right. I mean, season one is a, is a little slower, but you expect that because it's the first season of this series. But season three just started off much slower than I, I remember. Like a lot of the the foundation that's being laid right now is is kind of creeping by, uh, even though there it's a combination of some new characters and some characters have that have been kind of fully developed. Like McNulty is fully developed at this point. I mean, even mm-hmm. though he has an arc and a storyline and storylines, I should say, to come. But you you basically know who he is. You know who Kimi is. You know what the unit's about. But putting these newer characters in their world has the pacing of this not as fast as I remember it in my in my mind. So it's been kind of interesting to to see it again in the context of having watched the previous seasons. Um, when, when I rewatch it, interesting you say that. When I rewatch it, and especially in this rewatch, it feels as if there was almost an attempt to undo season two. It it when I when I watch the show, the feeling of the show. First of all, McNulty has almost completely reverted back to oh, he's back to one. season one McNulty big time, and and even <laughs> the dynamic between McNulty and Daniels is quickly becoming the exact same way it was in season one. The, us learning about these the, these differing uh, parts of of I guess Marlowe and the way this is all being introduced introduced very season one ish. The rhythm of the show is returning back to season one. So maybe to that's what of, it is. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I think that's for sure. Kind of kind of what's happening there. They're kind of taking you back a little bit, all while introducing a new component which is of course what's going on down in city hall that's a interesting ob- observation that you made because there was a lot of resistance to season two after season one there was a lot of re- the resistance wasn't just coming from viewers uh even though that was more of a perception thing because as i pointed out a few times season two was actually the highest rated season of the wire but there was a lot of resistance from the cast too because all the storylines that have been uh, essentially put on a tray and, and have been developed in season one, most of those went away. And there were characters that you didn't even see or barely saw that were established in season one. So it created some tension 
among the actors. Um, and Andre Royal, who plays Bubbles, I mean, he talked about it very honestly in um, All the Pieces Matter, uh, the book about The Wire by Jonathan Abrams, where he talks about how he really felt some kind of way seeing all these white characters come in. He thought that David Simon was kind of making a statement without saying a statement. So I'm wondering, mm. based off what you said about how you feel like maybe season three was trying to compensate for what happened in season two, and maybe that's why the season season three gets off to the start that it does. It's like, all right, let's yeah. just throw... We already had a, a pretty good soup going. Let's just throw everything that we got in the whole house in this <laughs> in this crockpot to see what we could come up with. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that held some influence over the writers uh, in season three to realize that they had to really win back maybe a lot of their core fans who started with them from day one who were so invested in the Barksdale storyline. Yeah, yeah, it, it seems as if that way, but for, for sure. Um, all right, well, here's the recap of what happens here in C in episode three. So uh, I was talking about how people were making bold moves. Omar makes a bold move to rob another stash house of the Barksdales, even though as he is scouting and Intel uh, has shown is that they are waiting for him. Okay. This is not, this is not a sneak attack. This is one where he's really, um, you know, crafty, the craftiness he normally displays and, and, and robbing these stash houses. This is going to be straight up muscle on muscle because of, of, uh, of how Stringer has prepared. And unfortunately, he does something very McNulty-ish, which is his tunnel vision leads to a very critical and costly era. And Tasha, one of the crew, is killed. Um, I'll talk about this later, but there was something about her death. Literally, I did not realize until I rewatched this episode. I was like, oh, interesting. wait, what? I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. I, actually, I had three for real moments in this that I had not noticed before as many times as I, I did. Moments. I had okay. three for real moments. So y'all can uh, put that in your back pocket, save it for later, because I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm coming back to it. Buddy Coven, our man, hatches a bold new plan to yeah, create. Yeah, we're here. Yes, we're here. Uh, mm-hmm. Though it really is popping in the nep- next episode, but he creates a bold new plan that, uh, <laughs> that entails a legalized drug zone. That's yes. why he's been scouting these locations and he's finally come up with something that he feels like will be a better usage or allow him to better use police resources. Uh, Carcetti uh, creates a shitstorm by leaking to the press that the next police academy class won't happen because of budgets and general fuckery in City Hall. <laughs> he's basically trying to nail Royce um, create an ambitious lane for himself. And in the process, he pisses uh, Burrell off, but also drives a little bit of a wedge between uh, uh, Burrell and Royce because uh, Burrell's got to take another L just to show his loyalty to the mayor. And so, mm-hmm. again, a situation and a dynamic to to pay attention to. McNulty's whoring rubs off on Kima. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're seeing, like, they're spending a lot of time together. Mm, and you see how... Mm-hmm. This has had a dramatic impact on who Kima is. You know, up until this point, Kima has been kind of the solid one, not the reckless one. But now she's just like, I'm in these streets. I'm in these streets right now. I I thought uh, something interesting about this, like, I always have friends that don't want their homegirl, don't want their girls hanging around certain ones of their homegirls. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? It's like, hey, man, I don't want you hanging around her. You know, the, the streets talk about it. And really, that is more true about men than it ever is about women. Men rub mm. off on other men in terms of behavior more than women. It, it, in my experience, I can't speak for women, but it's That's just interesting. interesting. I, I gotta now I gotta think about this. Like, is that is that true? You might be onto something. Uh, oh, because because guys normalize things inside of their crew. And it becomes normalized just for everyone. And no one checks anybody else about what's actually going on. You know what I mean? Women check each other. The women, not to generalize, women love to check things. They, <laughs> <laughs> women like to check you. Hey, 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 did you call your mama this week? God damn, okay. I'm sorry. Is There's nothing else to check me about. You have to go way down the list. But, um, but no, and so that is exactly happening to Kima right now. I mean, Nolte is one of your little hoe friends. Mm. Like, you know, you, oh, I don't like you hanging around a little hoe friend. That's McNulty. That's McNulty. When you rip the patriarchy out of it, McNulty is actually the hoe friend. And he's corrupting Kima and driving a wedge between the family. <laughs> That's right. He's destroying a happy home. Yes. But, but I I will say this from, um, you know, now you, as you were talking, I was thinking of, of of whether or not it was true that like women tend to check other women about what they're doing. We do because in general, you know, I think we're maybe a little bit more judgmental about that sort of thing because maybe some of us has experienced infidelity on the other side. So we may check our girl about her behavior, but we will check, but also cover. So we do both. Oh, of course. Oh, right. Yeah, we'll be like, oh, now you oh, know yeah, you ain't know. right. Okay. Yeah, what time yeah. is he calling? Where do I say yeah. you were? Okay. But you ain't shit. All right. And then we just kind of <laughs> we just gotta move on. We let the, the right. crew will let her know you ain't right. shit for cheating. However, yeah. that being said, we've all right. been there and we're gonna <laughs> we're right. gonna help you out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we don't say shit. We just be like, huh? Right. What? Well, well, oh, okay. Well, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, McNulty's whoring. Kima, she got a she got a bad influence going there. Uh and Cuddy. Um his story is starting to develop a little bit more. We see him checking in on his ex and essentially, uh, which was a great conversation and definitely one of the scenes I'm going to uh, recognize when we get to best scenes later because she said something so cold to him, but yet so true. Oh. I was like, damn. <laughs> but yet oh. I was like, oh, but that's a good one though. <laughs> I was that's like, a shit. good one. I was like, I and wish I would have known even, that. She didn't flinch. She, she didn't even deliver it with any peace of sensitivity at none, all. No. She just looked like, hey, I'm not going back to that shit. So, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, she I didn't even. like, you cut him to the core, Baxter. Holy Cuddy shit. Got, Cuddy got good head moving, but he ate that left hook. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> shit. He did. But mm -hmm. in general, what we continue to see with him is he's, is he's struggling to find out where he fits. You know, mm -hmm. it's clear that he doesn't want to go back to being a Barksdale goon, really. He right. he has only so much appetite for that, but this you know this this uh, cutting grass shit and and working shit is not really necessarily working for him either. Not that he seems mm -hmm. to mind the hard work. It's just I'm sure he feels like he's he's kind of you know treading water right now. That he's not Can't really find getting, comfort. He cannot find any comfort. So yeah, um, uh, some interesting things happening there that will, as people will see, will will play out in some compelling ways as this season goes on. All right, so now we move on to the character deep dive where we get to take a introspective look at mm. Thomas J. Carcetti. Yeah. <laughs> Councilman, excuse me. Councilman yes. 
Thomas J. Karketty. What are your impressions of Mr. Karketty? Uh, yo, it, I am, I don't think there's been a character that's come into the wire like the, like a new character. He is my favorite new character to drop into the wire at this point thus far, especially the fact that he's going to be a major character. He just, he, he represents, he's, he's such an accurate representation to me of both the promise and the problems of the American political system. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, but he's a guy who seemingly, seemingly wants to do the right things for totally selfish reasons. Uh, and that's okay as long as he has the outlet in order to continue to grow. Like a guy like Karkitty, you never want him to be stuck in the city council because I've got the feeling that if he were to be stuck there, that his sort of disdain would make would, would lead him to sit around and ruin everything for everyone and just kick people in the balls all day. Uh, but his white privilege, which there is a ton of that there, and you can tell, mm-hmm. mi- mixed with the fact that he really has long-standing roots in the city, and that matters. He's not a carpetbagger. He's not someone that came from somewhere else and came into Baltimore because he saw a political opportunity there. He's a lifelong resident of the city, so he remembers a time, or at least has been told of a time, when things are different and believes that the city that he's in right now can be different, but also believes that maybe not even actually making it different, but in positioning himself as a guy who can change things, he can actually garner all of the things for himself personally that he wants. And the interesting question about Karketi, and there's a fantastic scene in episode four where he goes to bat for the black residents of the city. Uh, The interesting thing about him is trying to figure out throughout his entire existence on the rest of the show, whether or not he really is a good guy. That's a fun little experiment as far as Carcady is concerned, trying to figure out, and the wire doesn't really give you good or bad, but it gives you hints on whether or not people are sort of good or bad. Like for example, Omar isn't good or bad, but there's a decency to Omar that is obviously there, right? Um, even though he is a murderer and a robber and all of that, there's a decency there. One of the f- most intriguing things to do with the character of Karketi for the rest of the time that you're going to watch the show is to try to figure out whether or not he has that same decency. And it's not evident. No. And it, and, and, it, and it never really becomes evident. It never really becomes totally absent. But it's not evident whether or not Karketi has that same internal morality that Omar or maybe even Avon to a degree or certain other characters uh, might have a, you know, or obviously D'Angelo was almost actually a super decent and sensitive person but it's 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 fun because Carcetti in one scene will give you i'll fuck anybody to get what i want and in the next scene he'll give you i'm doing all of this because i believe i can bring major change to this city 
and the old adage of politics is I got to do whatever I have to do to get to that seat to where I can make change. And by the time you get to that seat, you fuck so many people and owe so many favors that you can't help but do the same thing the last guy did. So it's a weird kind of cyclical thing, but it's a fun watch when you start to see Carcetti, what he's willing to do, who he's willing to screw, both figuratively and literally, in order to get what he wants. I think one scene, the whole the scene that summed up kind of who Carcetti is was in this episode. And I don't know if there's another scene like it uh, as he, you know, as you said, becomes a major character. So the sex scene in this episode with him. I have that written down, yeah. Yeah, as, as, as one of the best scenes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of, come on, man. Yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, okay, but, right. that, but that sums up who he is because, right. okay, let's just have some grown talk for a second. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make the mirror play when it comes to, you know, spicing things up sexually, who does it so they looking at just themselves? themselves. Yeah, and he's yeah. not, wait, he's not just looking at himself. It's like he's staring longingly at his reflection. And yeah. that, like, like it's, it's, weird. it's, it's so it's weird. Off. It's off-putting. It, it's very off-putting. Because if you look, you look to see the whole picture. Exactly. You want the whole right. scene, right? You want the whole scene. But he's like, he's like, Tommy, tear that ass up. <laughs> Tom, you can, Tommy, you, you, you can you're read the man his right mind. Yeah. He's giving himself a pep talk or he's he's right. his own hype man right. in that scene. Yeah. Right? right. Honestly, you, uh, he's having sex with himself. She ain't even there. Uh, yeah, she ain't even there. That's what I have written down. <laughs> Like, like, look, I have it written down right here. Carcetti fucks himself. <laughs> and like, and like and on, the, on, the, on the scene, that's what he was doing. That's exactly that's what, what he was doing. doing. <laughs> right. But look, I, I once read some, I had a conversation back in the day, right? Um, and the conversation was about Barack Obama. And uh, they were like, well, he's a narcissist. And I was like, no, I don't think he's a narcissist. I don't think that, I'll read that. And they go, uh, you can't get to the presidency and not be a narcissist. It's almost better if you're a narcissist, if you're trying to run for president, because you think that everyone getting behind you will change the world. Do you realize the opinion of yourself you have to have to do that? I had never thought about that before. So actually, the fact that he's looking at himself is on brand. Lend itself, it's on brand, right? Yeah, it's on brand for being a politician. It's that, mm-hmm. so all, of the, all the, uh, the politicians who, who might be listening to this, if you know you can stare at yourself solely in the right. mirror while having sex, you you right. can be a politician. That you can be, yeah. That's your litmus test right there. <laughs> right. And if you can stare at yourself while having sex with a uh, ex-adult film star that you paid, you can be a Republican politician. That is very true. <laughs> <laughs> Dreams happen, people. Dreams right. do come <laughs> true. It. So, so yeah, you're, to, to me, that scene explains so much about him. And I thought, well, he's not, as you said, he's not, he's not distinctly evil or bad, but he is very much a narcissist. I mean, he's ambitious in the right ways and in the wrong ways. But you look at him and you look at, say, Mayor Royce. Um, and Mayor Royce is also a narcissist, but he's much more unapologetic about it. That, right. In this episode, when Royce it base when Royce tells Burrell like you are gonna have to take this L for the team because that's just that's what people have to do in your position to make me look good, and he has no problem just spelling it out and telling him like, hey, it, this is what it is. This is the job you signed up for. 
while Carcetti, even though he's making these political moves behind the scenes to try to needle Royce, he's also doing it um, out of, uh, there is a part of you that wonders, you know, is he doing this because he really does feel like this is the best thing for Baltimore? Like he keeps you on that hook constantly because there are times, especially when he's speaking, and I'm glad you pointed that that scene out about when he is acting on behalf of the residents, that you do sense a warmth and a decency there. But then it immediately, he does something completely narcissistic where it totally goes away. And I think that is part right. of the brilliance of this character is that there's a frustration there. It reminds me a lot of McNulty. McNulty is a narcissist on a thousand, right? Right. But McNulty does get things done that is for the betterment of the department and for the betterment of public safety because he does believe in getting murderous people off the streets. Where it gets complicated is that McNulty sees this as a competition as opposed to a public service. And that's Carcetti's problem as well, is that things become blurred and complicated and he's he gets into a mode where this is a competition and this is not necessarily him acting on behalf of the public interest. And at this point where we see him, he is doing all these things behind closed doors and making these political moves and trying to have Burrell as an ally. I don't think at this point he's doing it with a bigger goal necessarily in mind, or he has a goal, but he doesn't really know what it is. His purpose hasn't fully formed. I think he's doing this because the narcissist in him wants to show that he is smarter and better than the position that he's playing, that he's better than just being some councilman who, um, you know, who talks about sort of meaningless small time city issues, that he can be an operative that turns up the heat on the mayor and the police commissioner whenever he feels like it. So he's getting it's the power play um, that he's kind of getting off on. It's not with. I don't think at this point he is thinking about, huh, what's my political future? You don't think he wants to be the mayor at this particular oh, point? I, I think I think he wants to be something. He just doesn't know what it is because there's a part of him, even though he's sort of hinted at it, like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I could he's he's hinting at the fact that he could do uh, in loud and, and, and subtle ways that he could do Royce's job better than him. However, sure. I don't think he actually believes that he could win that job. Because mm. it's Baltimore, because he's white, because even though, um, you know, he is not a carpetbagger, as you pointed out, that a lot of the residents are still going to see him that way just by virtue of the fact that he's white. He's going to be right. seen as an interloper. So he doesn't have the belief yet, despite the fact that he's a narcissist, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. I get it. Yeah. I get it. No, I, 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 I do understand that. I think he's he's building blocks. He he. This is what we know about him. He wants to be more than he is right now. Correct. And he is not going to settle into being a lifelong member of the city council. And he, he, does, he doesn't have the capability to be Delegate Watkins-esque and kind of make sure he's a part of the team. Like, Tommy Carcetti is the guy that, like, you know, if I'm not taking the last shot, trade me. Right. So like he's not a six man. He's not a role player. He's not a six man. He's not a role player. He's a he's the type of guy that would rather uh probably put up twenty-five or thirty on a losing team uh than contribute to the greatness of someone else. Because he really does listen, and to be honest with you, look, in order to be Kobe, rest in peace, or Jordan, 
or Kevin Durant, you got to believe that the best place for the ball is your hands. I mean, you really have to believe that because the, the majority of the times you take that shot, you're going to miss. We're just not going to replay those. So, like, you have to believe that it's on you. So that is a distinct, distinctly important leadership quality. The ability to, not the ability, but the, the lack of a fear of failure when everything's on your shoulders. Like, you have to have that. And I think Karketi is just arrogant enough to believe and just arrogant enough to, to go forward and say, you know, this city would be better off even failing if I was mayor. We can fail better than we're failing right now. Uh, I, I sincerely think that he thinks that. And if you listen to some of the talk around him and some of the things that he says, he's got good reason to believe that. He's got good reason to believe that Baltimore is fucked. The people in, in power right, uh, right at, at this moment don't care at the moment that we're in season three, don't care. And that at the least he, even if he doesn't have a better plan, he has a different plan. And sometimes people just want to see someone try something different, a different approach. And I think he thinks he has that. To me, there's two types of players. There are players who want to win and players who want to win their way. And mm-hmm. Carcetti is definitely the player who wants to win his way. Right. And um, it, that's a small but significant difference between those two types of people because somebody who just wants to win doesn't mind if one game they contribute, you know, five rebounds and six assists and the next game they score 30 because it doesn't have to be about them. It's like in every in every given situation, it's about what's better for the team. And Carcetti is not that way. And right. that's why in, in many respects, unlike a lot of characters in, in this series, he is his own worst enemy. Is that because... His need, his driving, ambitious need to always want to win his way can also be his undoing at certain times, you know? Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, he, 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 I think he probably, I'm always fascinated by people like him when they get into politics because to me, if you get into politics, you do have to have a spirit of servitude because... Mm-hmm. You know, everybody doesn't get into politics. I'm sure people get into politics thinking they will one day be Barack Obama. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, the reality is that the majority of people will not. So you have to have a spirit of servitude because that's what you're going to spend a lot of your time doing. I am endlessly fascinated by the people who get into it and seem to hate the very people that are their constituents, hate the people they serve or hate the service aspect of being a politician. And it's just kind of like, well... What'd you think it was? Like, why'd you get into it? Like, I, I don't understand why, uh, you know, you would get into something that's going to require a level of compassion and, and empathy that you actually don't have. So, mm-hmm. uh, so watching him, and I believe he does have some compassion, and I do believe he does have a little bit of, of empathy, but him being as drunk and as fascinated and motivated by power that he is, is what's holding him back from truly being a great politician because he has the makeup in him to do it. You know, given the fact that, as you said, like he's, he's a local product. He does not come off. I think I said this the last podcast. He doesn't come off as, you know, some of the, the white liberals and get out was like, I voted for Obama twice. Like he does not come off as a panderer at all. 
he has right. an authenticity and a genuineness about him that really could work on his behalf. But at the same time, it's these other more toxic elements, I think, that will kind of always be in his way. So you're saying that it's unlikely that he would kidnap a black person, then try to take their soul and put it into his body so that he or vice versa, so that he could then live forever as a Negro. I don't see that really being something Probably in his playbook. Probably not going to happen with him. Probably not in his playbook. I... What, a, what a good script. Jesus <laughs> Christ, Jordan. Like, like, can we just take a Van Lathan sidebar? Guys, what a fucking magnificent script. For Get Out is, like, Get Out is so sublime. It, it, I, I didn't really know what was happening. Until it started happening, I'm like, what's gonna, what's the deal here? Right. And it was, I was almost getting frustrated, but what a great Jordan Peele, really? Seriously? Oh, he's that good? Okay. And, right, it's, and it's timeless. Like, that's one of those movies that's gonna hold up for a minute. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. evergreen. It's like, it's, yeah. it's totally evergreen. Good script. Yeah. Jesus a, Christ. A, a, a great script. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, Carcetti, it 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 also, and through him, you, at much like all the systems that are exposed in the wire, the police, um, the street, the political system is just as futile, is just as uh, full of dysfunction as all the other systems. And you sure. see a lot of that through Carcetti's rise and hunger for power uh, as we go on in this series. All right, now let's talk about, uh, I guess we already covered one of the best scenes that we both had circled the sex scene. Right. <laughs> Which, uh, again, very comical to watch somebody watching themselves. It's like, all right, uh, guess, uh, you know, if you were doing a porno, that tripod would only be on you. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. That's crazy. crazy. That was one of the better scenes. What are some of the other ones that you noticed, uh, great scenes that you noticed in this episode? Okay, so... Uh, Omar's caper gone wrong is a great scene. It, it is, is the one shootout. The, it is the shootout. Um, action scenes in the wire not the greatest. No, it's they're not, not. They're not. Yeah, the action scenes in the wire not the greatest. But it's but, not an but, action. But, but let me show. ask you this, real quick, Van. And sorry to cut you off. Are they not the greatest because they're more realistic? Because you know, like we're used to these CGI slow motion matrix type of action scenes that are completely realistic i mean in real life i'm not saying i witnessed that many shootouts in 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 my life uh but in real life people ain't got perfect aim people can't like roll under a car or slide across a hood evenly and shoot at the same time like they can't do that shit so are the scenes actually bad or are they just realistic it's actually more than that it's actually what you said but a little more if you really look at these movies that you're watching it's actually only one side that has perfect name, and that is the side of good. Normally, the police shoot straight. Actually, Roger Ebert wrote about this. It's called the principle of evil marksmanship. Ooh. This is a true thing. The principle of evil marksmanship is that your hero is virtuous, right? So your hero is the kind of guy that will get up and train with his weapon all day long. So when he shoots straight, He's shooting as true as his heart, right? And so normally, there's one movie. You know that Shaft movie with 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 uh with Samuel L. Jackson? Mm-hmm. The, the, the he, new Shaft or just either one of the movies? The, the, the one that with, with Christian Bale. Oh, okay. 
He never missed. The whole movie, headshots, halo shit, doming people. Like every single time, he never missed. Like like uh uh racist uh anti-Semitic uh what's his name? Uh Mel Gibson, Lethal Weapon. Like 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 he 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 never misses. Never misses, right? Uh but the criminals always do because the criminals are uh they 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 they're cutting corners in their discipline which is why they're cutting corners in life and trying to take from people and they're not as good with their weapons and stuff like that the wire says there's no good or bad if you watch this shootout with Omar and people everybody's missing only one person actually only two people actually get hit and there are all kinds of bullets that fly actually when you watch these action scenes to your point you get a sense of how unsafe it is, not for the people in the shootout, but for the community. Yes, correct. Because the bullets are flying everywhere. You don't think, like when I'm watching the shootout in The Wire, you don't think, damn, is Omar's crew going to get hit? Is Slim's crew going to get hit? You're thinking, how? who else around is going to get hit? Because they're firing everywhere and nobody's hitting anything. Well, And, and not only that, they're the firing and they're running. Like they running. fire and they run at the same time, which only makes them even more inaccurate. So I think it has a lot to do with that. And since you brought up the shootout, I'm going to tell you what I noticed, which I did not notice before. And uh, this is my poor observational skills, because I'm sure either you notice or many of our you know Wire fans out there did. Who knew it was Dante that shot Tasha? It wasn't one of Stringer Bell's crew. Dante was the one who actually shot Tasha. I didn't see that. Yes. Okay, so go back. Go back and watch the scene, right? I thought Tasha got hit by somebody. Go back and watch the scene. I'm not going to go back and watch the scene. I'm about to put that shit on right now. <laughs> Look, I like, thought... While we're in the podcast. Yeah, go ahead and talk. So, like, yeah. I thought that one of Stringer's crew hit Tasha. But uh, so go, did I. Yes, but that's not what happened. And it's just like what you said, the collateral damage. It's a perfect example of it. Do this. you feel like he shoots her? I never realized this. I did not does realize he, this either. Does he know that he has shot her? No, he doesn't. And neither does anybody else in the crew because they're too busy shooting at Stringer's people. So their eye isn't on her. They just see her fall. Oh, my God. I actually, I, I okay, I'm on it right now. Hold on for a second. Listen, guys, when, when, when. I know this is bad form for the podcast. No, it's perfect form for the podcast. <laughs> when, some, when something like this happens, I have to be, I have to see it right now. I know y'all heard the HBO. <laughs> it's not I actually didn't hear that. So I'm pretty, I'm, I'm impressed. But yeah, I mean, if, if people, again, I, I'm sure there were some very observant folks that probably Yo, realized it. I've rewatched this season uh, I've rewatched this season a bunch of times. That's not something. And why, you know what? By the way, just to let you know, what's going to happen now is we are going, so people are going to hit us up like, I can't believe y'all didn't know that, man. Right, I know. Y'all Inevitably, really... I know this is what's going to happen. I was just like, I know as soon as I say this, somebody's going to be like, I can't believe it. How did you not see that? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, my bag. Like, I, it was a lot going on in this scene. It, it was. And I'm trying to pay attention to it now. Play. And my batteries would be dead. Uh, uh, <laughs> your batteries on your remote are right right yeah okay I'm watching it now hold on for okay. a second I just I want to make sure we're gonna get so, Van's real time reaction real time reaction so here it is 
They're shooting. Omar's uh, busting shots with the shotgun. Shotgun is way out of range. Way out of range. He turns around. Yep. It's after he says, go, go, go. And you see go, it. Go, go, go. He turns around. He shoots her. And also, the, the, the wound is from the front side of the head. Correct. When you look at it. Exactly. Because he ran. He turned around. That's crazy. See? Wow. I never, I ever, didn't realize this. ever. I'm going to send you a bag of Utz crab <laughs> chips. <laughs> I never realized that. Yep. Uh, he he definitely shot her. And then this little motherfucker never even took, I never even, I never heard him take responsibility. Bunk running around town looking for everything. Like, he, that's crazy. Wow, that's a great observation. I never realized that. I, I didn't really either. didn't. I was like, what? Like, that's why I said, and, and it's it's a couple, It's it's, this is one of three that just blew my mind moments in this. That's a, that's definitely that's a damn good one right there. And I can now I can't get the back back on my remote. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to man like, over I tried, there. I take, man over there struggling, struggling, <laughs> struggling, struggling. Okay, I got it back. All right, cool. Oh, uh, we oh, we're in best things. I'm sorry. No. Um. Okay. So I'll, I'll go through the rest of them quick. Bunny Colvin uh, and his Comstat rebellion. Love talked it. about rebellions. Love that scene right there. Obviously, iconic wire. Moment. I know what you're gonna say. Go ahead. Go iconic ahead. Iconic wire moment. Iconic, iconic classic stringer bell. Yeah. 40, I, 40 I agree with you. Day. That was a great scene. The 40 degree 40, day speech. 40 degree day classic stringer bell. But it is punctuated I, when the youngin is like, we're gonna give you a 40 degree oh, day. Well, we're gonna be on his ass like a 40 degree day. You're like String, you missed everything that was said. Okay. Everything that's said. Uh um, I have Carcetti fucking himself, having sex with himself. <laughs> um, and one of the saddest scenes, uh, it, it, like, not not because there are a lot of tragic scenes. I'm not talking about tragic. I'm talking about sad. It's watching Cuddy Matt. Uh, like, watching Cuddy get all dressed up and it's Cuddy's trying to step back into the world and everywhere Cuddy steps, the world tells Cuddy that they don't want him. And that's precisely what she does. And we can go ahead and get into it now, I guess. What the, the response that she gives him when he says, uh, it hurts to look at you, Grace. She says, well, then don't look. You shouldn't look then. I was like, <gasps> God. I was like, damn. Oh. I was Ooh. like, y'all want to see a dead body? Like, <laughs> was like, basically. Ooh, that was terrible. I was like, I wish when I were a single and back in my more brazen days, I was like, I wish I'd have had that one in the holster, bro, to tell somebody yeah, some shit well, like Don't that. look. Well, hey. don't look if it hurt. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I miss calling you. Well, then don't call me. <laughs> right. I'm like. That could probably work in a number of lines, right? A um, number of lines. Yeah. Uh, I thought what was, um, it wasn't necessarily well. It was one scene, but like certainly, but it was it was a series of scenes of Omar's remorse about what happened to Tasha. Right. Um. I thought that was it, we've always, as you said, like Omar goes by a code, and even though he's in a dangerous game, he generally does not want to see people who don't deserve it hurt, and right. that's why, as he told everybody in season two, he ain't never pulled his gun on a citizen, right? right. And he. He has this very rigid way of life. He's like, I'm a, you know, even though I'm in a dirty game, I'm a play it honestly. And so for him to be as 
hurt as he was um in some ways he was more hurt and I, and I don't know if this is just my perception of it he was more hurt about this than he was about when his lover was killed in in season 1 Be- I think that there's it's a, a different kind of hurt yeah because Omar normally doesn't operate on hubris and in this situation I mean when it, what happened to Brandon Omar actually could have lived with it had they not tortured him. Um, If they caught Brandon and killed him, that's all in the game. But all the extra stuff, I mean, he probably still would have sought revenge, but the extra stuff is really, how Brandon died is really what put Omar over the top. In this particular situation, though, it's Omar's hubris, Omar's obsession, his vengeance, everything that he has going on, which really stems from that issue. Uh, about Brandon towards the Barksdales that got somebody else hit. She died because Omar was being reckless. Right. And so I think that affects him in, in in a whole different way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he he could live a little bit more with what with what happened to Brandon, even with the with the torturing, because it, it, he found that to be out of bounds, obviously, and he found that to be extra. He was like, you know, casualty is not something that I think is what got him to respond. Like you said, it was just based off the fact that he was tortured. However, right. this is different because even though um, Tasha is 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 willingly chosen to be a part of a stick up crew, and there's you know there's danger that comes with that. I think it's just the fact that they wouldn't even be in this situation if he didn't have Stringer Bell as the focus uh, of his revenge, you know, like before when he, you know, when he went on a a vengeful tear against the Barksdales after Brandon was murdered, he was solo. It was was by himself. Like, you know, he kind of accepted his mission. Like I got to get him. It's on me. Let me make this right. And I'm going to do whatever I need to. He put himself on the witness stand. It was just him. Any casualty, just him. But now somebody else gets caught up in his mess and it leaves him with a different kind of guilt, especially considering the conversation that they had where both her and her girl were like, you know, it's a whole bunch of drug houses. We don't have to keep robbing this one or robbing this crew. And certainly not one where we have to mount up in a different way because they know we coming. Right. Yeah. They expressed reservation. He did it anyway. Somebody died. Yes. So, uh, to see them sort of visually show Omar in a different state of grief. Um, it, it, and look, it, it, I think it was powerful. I mean, just as it was powerful when he had to go identify Brandon's body in the morgue, you know, right. that was, that was also part uh, powerful. And so I think this is one of the things that make makes Omar such a great character is that even though there's a lot of death around him, he's, he's filled people with a lot of filled people with a lot of bullets. The fact that he, things like this still resonate with him mm-hmm. that this, these deaths still resonate with him shows that he will not ever forsake his humanity, despite being in a game where he could be killed um, at any particular moment. Um, in addition to some, some really great scenes in this, I thought it was actually some really great lines. We, uh, <laughs> the, one, the coldest one was probably when old girl told him not to look, but mm-hmm. um Another one that I thought was on the funnier side is uh, Grace's twin sister, Queenie, when she was like, oh, so you gonna go get your aftershave on? 
Get yourself correct. Get Tip yourself- on out of here. I love her whole scene. Right? And then she calls, wait, and then she calls her Condoleezza Rice. Right. They got all of them talking like Condoleezza. Like that whole scene. So she's so, so, she's so angry, bro. Like that whole scene. She's like, uh, she got herself a county car. The county, like the, she about going county way. The whole thing, she don't rush me, nigga. Like the whole <laughs> thing. She was on one. I was like, damn. Pissed. Pissed. <laughs> yeah, she was definitely on one. And uh, Burrell, when they're at the, the Comstat meeting and, you know, the, jumping in somebody's shit as they, they often do or as those meetings are set up to do. And he says, it's Baltimore, gentlemen. The gods will not save you. I was like, yeah. Won't save you. It won't um, save you. So it was... Obviously, some very memorable scenes and uh, some great lines in this one. All right, Van, now let's talk about what was it that aged the best for you? Okay, aged the best um, when they said people hating a real job. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, hating a real job. Um, when they said, uh, do you, when the, the Burrell sitting around, not Burrell, Burrell, well, Burrell's there, but it's Burrell and Royce and everybody else, and they say, uh, you know, they're, they're going back and forth. It's like, none of us wants to have to get a real job. Number one, that was a very telling scene because, you know, that tells you that those guys who are maybe have the most, I wouldn't say important jobs, but definitely high leverage, some of the most high leverage jobs in the, the city. Remember, their jobs depend, their jobs are supposed to dictate the way life for millions of people go. And they don't consider them to be real jobs. Hmm. That, that, says, is, that says a lot. A lot like that is something that I believe. Uh, oh, wow, I'm looking at the scene now. The scene is actually on now, and it's interesting because I've never noticed that that's the, the illest picture. Go back and look at that scene. The picture sits like this. Have you, do you see, watch that's the illest picture I've ever seen? Picture of water, it doesn't sit like that, it sits on its side. Oh. It's got a little thing. That's dope. Royce is a pimp, man. We're going to see more of that later on. Five that oh, later. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Royce is definitely. I was like, oh. Yeah. And it, it's yeah. kind of, um, uh, it, it, I, it's kind of funny seeing him because um, when I was at ESPN, uh, me and, and my former co-host, Michael Smith, we recreated the uh, Different World intro. And we used. Oh, he was in it. Yeah, and he was in it because uh, uh, his daughter actually worked at ESPN. Um, was one oh. of the pro- uh, she was a producer at ESPN, and so that was how we got the link. And uh, I, I remember the last time I watched season three because I, you know, I, I'm friendly with his daughter and, and know her now. When that scene that you're referring to popped up, I was like, oh my god! Now I know that his daughter in real life, and yeah, that's just it's... jarring in a whole nother way now. Yeah. File yeah. that away for later. Yeah, a- uh, a- absolutely. Right. Um. So I had that. I really didn't see too many age the best. I had some age the worst though. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. Um. But the one we just talked about one that I thought aged the best. People hate no success. Definitely never gets old. And so when Queenie yeah. was going in on her sister, I thought about that. Like, woof. Folks feeling some kind of way when other people mo- uh, mobilize and advance and, mm-hmm. and and move out, especially if they move out the hood and the environment. That shit ages like fine wine. I got something else that aged the best. I was just talking to one of the homies about this last year. Your shorty not holding you down while you inside. Feel what I'm saying? You in there, you inside, you doing your bid or whatever, whatever. You come home, your shorty not holding your head down. 
making sure that you that you got your mentals on check. You know what I'm saying? When you inside doing the bid, she can't even come up there, put some on your books, come up there, get you some ramen noodles, some cookies, some whatever. You know what I'm saying? Your shorty, you come out and she done moved on to a whole new dude to name her son after Allen Iverson or whatnot. That type of thing right there, that's what messes with a with a with a with a with a fam's head while he's inside trying to do his time. You feel me? You feel me? Wait, didn't he get like seven thousand years? Like <laughs> he, got, he got fourteen years. Okay, she was supposed 14, to hold it down for fourteen years. I might give you years. five. Anything over five, it is what it is. <laughs> fourteen years. You gotta. Nah, I wouldn't even want her to hold it down. Fourteen years. The stupidest argument I ever had with my friends was not even about this. It was about Castaway. Second Van Lathan sidebar. You guys know who you are. We had an argument about Castaway. Yo, it, they were like, she should have waited for him. What? Yo, it was like it was five to be years dead. on a deserted island. It was five years on a desert island. Like, no one even knew that this guy was alive. I was like, wait for what? Like, wait for what? It's not like he went to Iraq. They didn't even know where he was. Like, wait he for what? He was presumed dead. Presumed dead. And she was like, nah, he got to break up. I'm like, bro, anyway. God, <laughs> she got to break up with her new, <laughs> guys are stupid. new life. Uh-uh. <laughs> right. But that aged the best because I was actually did have a conversation with a friend of mine who did 11. It's like, yo, she couldn't wait. I was like, dog. 11? Bro, bro. Come gotta on. Let's, 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 they got something called Tinder now. Let's move on and try to find you somebody. You know, let her go, bro. Let her go. Um, well, if, uh, you brought up that that Castaway uh, or the movie Castaway. I actually, um, I, I guess, yeah, this this is this will qualify as a stunt. I went to where they filmed that in Fiji, and I, I took a picture with the Wilson, the soccer ball, and everything because it's it's like right there, like it's a remote island. It's not even habitable, and you could just go and check it out. Okay, so this is what we're gonna do. So from this moment on. Every time Jamel reminds us how much richer she is than the rest of us, um, this is the first one. Put a dollar sign, Jim. Put a this. I want a Jamel Hill dollar sign, right? Because we all doing big things. Not all of us can be producing big time documentaries and stuff like that. Put a Jamel Hill got all kinds of shows. Then put a dollar sign, and every time Jamel reminds us how much God has blessed her, I'm gonna put a little dollar sign at the bottom of the boom. Ching. Yeah, I've been to Fiji. With, with, with Wilson's. Guess what, Jamel? I've been to Cancun spring break seeing your frogs. So I've been places too. You feel me? So so have I. In college. <laughs> My junior year of college, we went to Cancun. I got shit-faced in senior frogs. Right. right. <laughs> thanks to the, uh, the, the tequila limbo line. Oh, um, Jesus Christ. Shout out to your frog. I'm man. telling you, that that's the, that yeah. place is a treasure, boy. Yeah, <laughs> Where bad decisions are made. <laughs> that's right. for sure. Uh, it, it, you brought up the the mention of Allen Iverson because I had that flag. That's something that aged the best. Allen Iverson always ages well. Any mention. Allen Iverson. Allen, any mention of Allen Iverson ages the greatest. Shout out to little Allen, man. So what aged the worst for you? You said you had some moments. Uh, I noticed a lot of platinum chains in this episode for some reason. I did too. I, that didn't occur to me as something that didn't age as something that aged the worst. That's interesting. Platinum Nobody wears chain. platinum anymore. Yeah, it's gold. Gold. Jay Z. People talk about Jay Z. Whatever. Jay Z. I remember reading the episode. Uh, reading the episode. I remember uh, reading an issue of Double XL, two thousand five, two thousand six, or something like that. Maybe earlier. But around that time, and like Hove was wearing gold, what? And I was like, 
it was like it was like I was like what it, it looked icky. I was like, I was like, hold. I'm like, he's wearing, like, he's like, yo, this is rose gold. I was like, what? And then four years later, it was back on gold. Gold came right back, and now it's gold, and nobody really wears platinum like that. Not really. Yeah, it it, it was. It was so hot for a minute, and then it was just like gone. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Came That's and went. Good observation there. Uh, nothing stuck out to me in terms of, of uh, what age the worst. You have any more? Or was it just the gold chains? That's or sorry, the platinum, yeah. I should yeah. say. Uh, so I thought of this episode, I might have to spare Stringer Bell. But like, what fun is, is sparing Stringer wow. Bell? Like, what, mm-hmm. what fun is that? The 40 degree speech, excellent. See, I can, I can give him a compliment. Yes. However. First one in three seasons, but go ahead. <laughs> however, and th- this is, you know, see, I, I look at Stringer now is like he is incompetent upper management that we've all worked with before. He is upper management. All right. And it's just so funny to me that he was told already in this season, yo, Omar's looking for you. Basically, Omar is daring Stringer to come down to the street. Come down to my level. What you want to do? college boy or sorry community college boy what you want to do right and so i find it every time that he or when he's yelling at them about how they really didn't get shit accomplished sprayed a bunch of bullets didn't shit happen and i'm like you you ain't willing to go down there like so (laughs) you're not wait you you can't do that though you You can't that's like that's like a whole lot to say Ain't nothing worse than somebody who always want to tell you the problem, but ain't got shit for a solution and can't do it themselves. Did you want to see Barack Obama go to Afghanistan? No. Like, so if he criticizes what's going on. He's he's the Barack Obama. He's the Barack Obama of the drug game. He's the Barack Obama of the drug game, right? And he kind of is when you think about it, you know, like, but, but like, uh, droning people. No, it's a joke. It's a joke. I, I don't want to go too far left for y'all, but, uh, but, um, no, seriously, it, it, like he can't go down and start banging. He is, he's the brains. What you want him to, he's no, the it's, brains. It's, it's because he has been called out in particular that it's just interesting to me that when he gave him that whole speech, which is a fine speech, right? Fine speech. But I know a part of them in their mind, they all thinking like, well, if it's so easy, motherfucker, why don't you come on down here and show us how it's done? You know what? I'm not even going to dignify this because you know no way that Stringer can go down there. Stringer probably got like a pretty gun too, like a a, a pearl handled uh, chrome nine or something like that. Stringer hasn't touched a gun or drugs in forever. In forever. Drugs, I understand, obviously. But, well, let me me ask you this. Well, well, (laughs) there's a... There's a big difference in ideology with that because, um, you know, as we found out later, when Marlo heard his name was ringing in the streets a certain way, what was his response? Hmm. I, I never got word. The word <laughs> never got back to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Different away. response, wasn't it? <laughs> but I don't even think that Marlo necessarily would have meant that he was going to go down there and handle that himself. I think that maybe he would have gone at it in a different way, but maybe not himself. By the way, does Stringer ever touch a gun? In this whole series? In this whole series? I do not. I cannot, up, up to this point, I don't recall that happening. Um, 
I don't I don't remember him ever touching anything. Uh Avon did, correct? Avon did. Avon I definitely did. remember scenes where definitely. Avon had his hands on Right, him. but like Stringer, no. Uh he was too busy at the farmers market. So Oh Jesus. Not about this gun toting life. <laughs> All right, now trivia where I will reveal the other two what moments mm-hmm. um that were equally to me as shocking. Uh, well, actually, I'll really I'll reveal one. The other moment, um, it's it's a humongous file this away for later in this okay. episode. But mm-hmm. first, let's start with the death of Ray Cole, which was in this um uh, in this episode. Uh, you heard McNulty say on the phone that he collapsed on the stairmaster. That's how he died. And if you notice in epi- in the, the first two episodes, whenever Cole's name came up, he was always somewhere else. He was not there. Yeah, yeah. I actually I actually had that written down at the end. Uh, down at the bottom, it's like Cole's completely absent all the time. Yes, he was totally absent. And the reason Bunk winds up getting Tasha's murder case is because Cole is supposedly in court. Um, right. Now, uh, for people who don't know this, Cole was played by the executive producer of this series, Bob Colesberry. Um, and in real life, he died unexpectedly before season three started. Um, and so that's why they pay this tribute to him. Oh, what a touching tribute. Yes, uh, a special tribute. And the song that they played when they they sang uh, to him, you know, at the end when they had him on the on the table in the bar is a song called The Body of an American by the Pogues. The Pogues. Yes, yeah. by the Pogues. And the speech that Landsman gives is playing off some of the other projects that that uh, Bob Colesberry had been involved in as well. So they're taking lines from some other movie projects and film projects he worked on, and that's how he creates that speech. So um, the death of the character was actually real, um, and they had to weave it into the series the way that they did as a tribute to him. Now oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now because you start to notice the Cole thing because even when. Uh, Bunk is at the game uh, and they call him and it's like Cole is up and he goes no Cole can't do it because Cole was somewhere else or something like that and so Bunk had to go in but it was always because Cole couldn't come yeah because my guess is that they're setting it up by mentioning him about how they're gonna kind of wrap up what happens to him Um, because they I mean even though I mean David Simon could have totally taken the easy way out and he just never would have appeared in the in the storyline again or never been mentioned again because he was, uh, you know, you saw him, but he wasn't like a major character or anything. Mm-hmm. Right. But obviously, given his role on the wire, um, in terms of behind the scenes, this was a fitting tribute for somebody who meant a lot to this series. All right, my my second aha, holy shit moment in this, uh, in this particular episode. Don't ask me how I didn't know this again. Sorry, wire fans, if I did not realize this. So. You have Grace and Queenie, who are twin sisters. I didn't realize they were actually played by the same person. Did not oh, know wow. that. Jamel. Jamel. I know. I was like, wait. Oh, shit. That's the same person. Jamel. I Jamel, know. Did, did you know that in the social network that Army Hammer actually played both Winklevoss twins? Did you know that? So I guess I would have had to have seen the social network. Oh, my God. What am I doing? <laughs> Well, like you've never seen the I've social never seen the social network. Well, you've never you're gonna have a fun weekend. That is a great oh, so I have movie. To watch it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You, no, that, no, you'll no. I'm telling you. I'm gonna be honest with you. 
you're you're you know it's not very melanated, but it that's a great movie. Okay. You gotta see the Social Network. Well, I don't but care yeah, if it's not melanated, but like yeah, I I just never I, I it didn't interest me that much to go want to go see it. But, oh, you, you you're gonna love it. Okay, it's so good. It's I will really put good. that I will put that on the list. I haven't seen it, and yes. Sorry, I did not realize that the same person was playing the twins. I was like, "Oh shit, that is actually the same person." There and, will uh, be blood. There will be blood. Paul Dano, same guy. Yes, I did know that. Okay, did you just making sure? I, I did know that one, but for some right. reason, I the dots are never connected in this one. <laughs> and it's the lovely actress Dravon James who is playing both characters. Which you got to give her a lot of credit because they couldn't appear more different. Like she did that. Right? Yeah, but they 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 the same person, though. They the same person, but they behaving totally differently because, you yeah, know. Yeah, she did a good job. She, she out in the county now. Job. She Condoleezza Rice in it. Condoleezza Rice, yeah. Rice in the it, county rather. Name, con- county car. Too, too good for us city niggas. Yes, exactly. So she mm-hmm. did that. So sorry. I didn't know. So there is your good. trip for this episode. Uh, that's good. It's good. Yeah. The, the, um, the idea is fantastic. So now we are on to our foulest away for later moments. Mm-hmm. Um, biggest foulest away for later. All right, huge. Tasha's murder. You remember when Bunk is on the scene, you see the four kids emulating Omar, reenacting the shootout. One of the kids yells, it's my turn to be Omar. That kid was Canard. Oh, you lying. I didn't know that. I was like, I'm a, hold I'm up. Go, no, I'm going to go to it right now. Go look, man. It's Canard. This is, the, this is the second time in real time Van actually has had his fucking mind blown on the thing. Yo, that's that's wild. Isn't it? That is that is crazy. And listen, guys, if you knew that, good for you. I didn't know it. And I never, ever actually caught it because he's so... It, it, are you? That's wild. I gotta make. That's cr- that is crazy. That is that is one of the spiciest. My father's away for later is a, a, a done now. I got the detective's wake. That's I got that as a father's away for later because just because you know that's a big moment that's coming up. But man, that is a huge father's away for later right there. I was like, what? Maybe- <laughs> and that and that that's the type of thing that makes you wonder. Whether or not they're, because we can't give away too much. We can't spoil it, but they had to have known, right? They had to have come back to that because that almost, that's that's almost poetic in a way. It is. that Because you see that there's, absolutely. he idolizes them. He idolizes them. He might even be the reason that he's out there. He played as him when he was a kid. Craziness. You guys, we're not going to do anything more else to spoil that. If you haven't watched, if you have watched, uh, you're probably whatever. But that is a gigantic head scratcher right there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I did not uh, know amazing. that. I was like, oh, snap. You know, um, yeah. and I, I did have a, obviously a much smaller file this away for later. Is uh, our girl Donette desperately yeah. trying to reach Stringer Bell? <laughs> desperately trying to get in touch with Stringer after her, she was visited by McNulty in the previous episode. She is desperate to talk to Stringer, so 
that is a situation that you need to pay rapt attention to because there's a lot that comes from that in particular. Yeah. But yes, but the Kanara bomb in this episode, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> never noticed it. I've watched it several times. I never noticed it. Never, ever noticed it. Sorry, guys. I never noticed that before. Yeah, that's one that is easy, easy one to dismiss. But it, it seeing the you on your shit today. <laughs> well, well, apparently You're not because I didn't thing. recognize the same person playing twins. So <laughs> I'm not perfect right. by any stretch. Right, right. right. I mean, my batting mm-hmm. average, you know, it, it, it decreased a little. I was at a thousand. Maybe I'm like seven fifty now. <laughs> but you, Adam, you Adam Dunn, so a couple swinging and swings and misses. But when you hit one, that motherfucker going five hundred and seventy five feet. All home runs, man. You're doing your thing. And with that, we finally arrive at our moment of truth, Van. Who won this episode? Uh, I wanted to be cute. I wanted to say that Kintel Williamson won this episode. That's why I, that's why I wanted to be cute. But it was just, you're, you're too cute. Uh, I got Bunny. Uh, I got Bunny Colvin winning this episode. Um, it It's a little premature, but... Of all these sort of people that we said were rebelling against things and like, you know, trying to shake up structures uh, above them, Bunny to me was the one, the only one that seems to be doing it successfully. Bunny is the one that's about to really, really like fuck some shit up. So, and this episode is the one where it all comes sort of into uh, focus for him. So I was I was most drawn to uh to, to Bunny's character in this. It definitely is him. The scene just popped up. He said, I want wow, crazy. Anyway, uh whoa, 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 big deal. Okay, yeah, but I got Bunny. I got Bunny. Well, I, I, Bunny is uh strongly on the MVP watch list for this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, honestly, I mean it, projecting ahead he's on the mvp watch list watch list for this season and for next season like that's how strong his character uh is because especially with what's about to unfold these next three or four episodes bunny could legitimately win every episode over the next you know three or four easily easy Mm -hmm. pick because of of how he matures this idea of drug legalization for me um, even though it's it's a it's on a sadder note, but I thought Omar won this episode. Um, I'm always drawn to you know humanity, and because I, I think you know the thing with I made that comparison with Omar and McNulty is that they both kind of did the same thing. Is you know they're on their tunnel vision, they're only focused on getting what they want, and McNulty. The difference is. He doesn't care about the collateral damage. He only really cared one time when Kima got shot in season one and he felt like his crusade directly led to her almost losing her life. That's the only time we've seen McNulty let up. And you would think after that, that he would not be prone to falling back into the trap that he's in now, which is being self-righteous, self-serving McNulty and saying, fuck everybody else even a big fuck you to Daniels who essentially rescued him from nothingness. He got him off the boat, which Lester points out like, Hey, you know, he got you up out of the, the abyss. And if this is, and if your, your payback is to just continue to defy him, that's kind of fucked up. And it is. Mm -hmm. The difference is that Omar immediately understood. And it was costly because his girl died that 
he if he's going to continue to be on one, he cannot do it in a way that's going to sacrifice people who don't deserve to die. And him having that moment of smoking the cigarette uh, of even, you know, I, I think he burns himself with the cigarette in part to remind him of this pain, that this is something that he wants to stick it, stick with him. He wants to live in it. And for that, I think that's a huge win for him as a person, because hmm. um, despite everything that he does and the world that he's in, Omar is not willing to sacrifice his humanity. And so for that, hmm. one of the many reasons why he's a favorite character of mine and why a lot of people really rock with him in this series. So hmm. thanks, guys, for hanging out with us as we have broken down another critical episode of The Wire as we rock on and continue on with season three. So as always, keep watching The Wire and keep listening to us. We will see y'all next time. 